0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. With so much focus on caring for COVID patients, we sometimes lose sight of other important elements of health care that are being neglected. Eye care is one of those areas as optometrists have been struggling to cover costs, treat patients amid COVID-19. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, did you have some kind of eye emergency or did you just uh, need to see an optometrist? How did that go during COVID? The numbers to call, 416 toll-free 866 740 Right now, I'd like to welcome Dr. Sheldon Saliba, President of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. Hello there.
2: Hi, how are you, Libby?
1: Fine, how are you?
2: Doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, uh, for a while there was a bit of a, a respite, I guess, when we were in stage two, but uh, back in lockdown in Peel and Toronto, that can't be easy.
2: Uh, no, not exactly. Um, you know, I feel, um, you know, fortunate that optometrists are still able to be um, operating and conducting um, eye exams in those regions, but. Uh, It's definitely um, something that's hitting everybody in that area hard.
1: So what are the challenges? I'm assuming, uh, I remember the first time we talked, we were in lockdown and uh, it was very difficult to see patients, optometrists were doing that on an emergency basis, is that still the case?
2: Um, Yeah, it is, We're, um, um, we're able to see people but I think that the the biggest challenge for us is um, patients being able to access our services because we have such limited capacity in order to see them. And when it comes to um, patients who are covered through OHIP, because of the funding gap being so big between what the government pays and what it costs us to, do, to deliver the service, it really um, prevents barriers where we have to be careful in the amount of OHIP patients that we're seeing on any given day in order to allow our practices to be able to um, pay their bills and be able to survive in this environment.
1: What are the biggest issues in terms of that? What are, what, I mean, I know that you can see fewer patients. Uh, is it uh, rent? Is it PPE? What are the biggest issues?
2: You know, um, about 70% of our practices are OHIP-insured patients, and we get paid about, uh, um, on average, $44 to see those patients. And um, if there's somebody who's had an exam in the last year and they're coming in for a partial appointment for something that would be considered an emergency, those people were getting paid for um, around $25. So I think the biggest challenge is when the average office would be able to accommodate about 10 10 appointments a day. Um, We have to be really careful that we're not seeing um, an abundance of those $25 exams because it's just not physically possible to pay our operating costs like our staff, our rent, um, all of those types of things that are required in order to um, keep the doors open and operate our clinics.
1: What would the issues with some of those emergency-type visits be?
2: As far as what types of people would be trying to access such I mean, service? what
1: kind of, yeah, what kind of problems would they be having?
2: Oh, it'll be anything from red eyes to flashes and floaters, which could be as serious as a retinal detachment. Um, you know, any of those acute things that can develop with the eye where um, somebody catches a virus in their eye, um, they get an eye infection, they get um, a foreign body in the eye, any of those types of things. Uh,
1: are, are people having to go to emergency with those issues now?
2: We try to accommodate um, as many as we can, but I think that there still are a lot of people that would have to access the emergency system because our schedules are so restricted and lots of offices um, will have long wait times. So in order, it, it's very difficult for us to squeeze people into our schedules the day of because of COVID protocols, because um, it makes it next impossible to maintain social distancing. Like everything that we're doing in our daily routine has to be very structured in order to keep people safe. So um, there is overflow where people aren't going to be able to access our services and um, they would be need, they would need to be seen by a different provider.
1: What about virtual medicine? We've been hearing a lot about it. So first of all, uh, is there a provision in OHIP for you to provide virtual care and, and does it work for many things?
2: Um, you know, we haven't been given the opportunity to um, to work with virtual care. Um, the government does have some platforms set up that provide um, for virtual care, but optometrists haven't been included in those um, in establishing those types of frameworks. So um, we are really sitting on the periphery. Um, so at this point in time, we don't have anything um, like a platform or a billing cycle to be able to provide virtual care. If we were going to provide virtual care, it would primarily be by um, a telephone appointment with a with a patient. Um, certain optometrists will have different um, vision, like um, like FaceTime or different platforms that are secure that they could actually look at a person face to face. As far as if it's, um, as if if it's um, a good care model, I think it's good in respect to um, be able to answer questions and manage things like there's some things that can be managed that way but if you were seeing somebody who is describing symptoms of a retinal detachment um you know i had a patient um last week that i saw who was describing um you know like this floater in his vision and he came in And um, he was also diabetic and he had a big hemorrhage that had bled into the inside of the eye and it was covering his central vision. Those types of things, you really have to see a person in in person because I needed to be able to determine if it was truly a retinal detachment or if it was related to diabetes, um, both of them being serious and it required an urgent referral for treatment.
1: Debbie and Pickering. Hi, Debbie.
3: Oh, hi Libby. Hi, Doctor. How are you? Good.
2: Meet you, Debbie.
3: I just wanted to say I've had an eye infection—a combination of a severe virus, bacteria, and allergies—for the last two and a half months, and I've been able to see my optometrist in Ajax, who has been really wonderful. And I was um, eventually referred to an op- to a, a specialist in Vaughan um I was on steroid medication for about 3 going on 4 weeks and it cleared up but the very night I stopped the steroid medication the next day the infection came back in the eye Oh no. Yeah, it's been so so bad. My vision is blurred. I I'm having such a hard time doing my work on the computer and I'm in the process of um getting an appointment to go to to see the specialist once again. It's just something that has not cleared up. It's been so bad. But I just wanted to comment and say the care that I've received, I've had absolutely no problems. And it's been really wonderful.
1: That's good to hear. Mm -hmm. Dr. Saliba?
2: You know, I think she um, describes a complicated case where um, she requires multiple appointments um, in order to get resolution, There are some really severe viral infections that begin circulating at this time of year that can infect the eye, Um, the primary one being something called epidemic um, um, EKC, and it sounds like that's likely what she experienced. And I'm happy to hear that you were able to um, access care and be treated because it's uh, it's a terrible experience when people go through... um, you know, something like that.
1: Debbie. Yes. Sorry, Libby, go ahead. No, I was just going to say thank you for sharing your story with us.
3: Yes, I've been very happy. Thank you. And all the best. I love your show every day.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Uh, the number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Dr. Saliba, tell me about your advocacy efforts. What do you need to be better able to provide care?
2: Um, We really need the government to step up and um, look at the importance of optometry services and provide a sustainable funding model, so we're able to continue to deliver primary care services. Optometrists deliver um, the bulk of eye care in the province. Um, In normal times, we would provide 5 to 6 million interactions across the province um, any given year. There are 2,500 optometrists spread out in all communities across the province. And um, when you get out into more remote remote rural areas and you start going into northern Ontario, um, the types of things like um, the previous caller was describing would be likely exclusively managed in-house by um, optometry services. So it's very important that if um, the public wants to be able to have access to these services in a timely fashion, that the government work with us. Um, we are seeing some early signs that the government looks like they are going to um, engage and try and look at finding solutions to this problem. And, you know, when people are going into their offices, we are asking them to sign petitions in the offices when they're having their eye exams. And those petitions are going to their local MPPs. They're being um, read in the legislature. And uh, they are gaining some traction. We had three of them read uh, on Tuesday um, in, the, in the legislature. And it really is helping provide um, pressure to make the government remain focused on, um, they have to, even though we're having so many complications from COVID, there is still other um, general business that they need to continue to action on. And uh, and fix. And, um, you know, I just want to see a system that is sustainable so we can continue providing services to everybody.
1: I would imagine uh, just uh, getting them to focus or or even just take a a look at something that is not COVID is is uh, not an easy job.
2: It is not. So, you know, we're really relying on the public to um, stand with us. And make their make their voices heard because when when they're doing something like that um, from the public perspective, um, politicians pay attention to that, and uh, it is really important for us. And for people who aren't um, seeing their optometrist in office, to be able to sign a paper petition, um, we also have a website called SaveICare.ca that people can go to and. Um, they can simply um, fill out an online form, and it will send a letter to um, the Minister of Health and the Premier and the other departments in the government that will be responsible, ultimately, for um, making these types of changes. Uh,
1: I've how many uh, optometrists would you say? I mean, we've been doing a lot on on small business and, and the fact that a lot of small businesses are not going to survive this. Are optometrists or some optometrists in the same position?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I've been hearing that um, the people that practice in uh, downtown Toronto, where all of the high-rise buildings are now empty, um, those people are uh, really struggling. Um, their foot traffic, just like every, like any type of business that would be in that area. Um, they really have, everything's dried up almost to nothing. And um, I think those are the people that are in the most jeopardy at this point in time.
1: Hmm. It's it's interesting. I mean, uh Any small business, uh, whether it's a a food court or or a retail store in the path that usually has, you know, tens of thousands of people a day coming through, they are, I mean, it's it's locked down and it's deserted and has been even uh, through the second wave. I mean, it's really unfortunate.
2: Yeah, I've heard they would normally have foot traffic of 20,000 people walking past on a daily basis. And um, I think people in that environment um, will access services kind of on a whim if they have time and get things done. And I've heard that their foot traffic now is about 200 people a day. So um, they're definitely hurting. And any any type of business that would be um, relying on that type of environment, I feel very sorry for right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Are they at least able to uh, access uh, some of the help for that's the general help for small businesses? I imagine that's not enough.
2: Uh, it wouldn't be like um, I mean, we got a PPE grant; it was a thousand dollars, and that really doesn't um, that really doesn't touch costs for for them. I'm sure they can do um, wage subsidy stuff. I, I would assume that they would be able to apply for rent subsidy, although um, that program was initial for three months in um, after the first wave, and I know they have rejigged it um, at the federal level, but I don't believe that it's actually rolled out yet.
1: Uh, it's so just I, rolling out this week.
2: Right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, in, sure, they're going, there's going to be benefits, but um, I still don't believe that that is um, enough necessarily for people to be able to survive a prolonged period like this.
1: Okay, let's take a call from Susan in
4: Toronto. Hello, Susan. Hi. I've seen a specialist, and I'm not sure whether he's um, knowing the waiting period. But I've been di- I've been I'm diagnosed with um, cataracts, and he's. I have one more appointment. Um, but however, I think he's knowing the situation that he's sort of, his hands are tied basically at some degree. Is that true or false? What, what do you mean?
1: Uh, you, you, you don't have enough?
4: Okay, yeah. I've been, I have cataracts. Yep. And I, and basically he's, he's trying one more thing, keeping me on the medication to see if, I don't know. But it seems like he's, um, prolonging it. To the degree you mean, it is, you have
1: teacher. to wait a long time, is what you're saying?
4: Basically, yeah. So, like I said, is he prolonging it, or is it the waiting period? As we already know, that it's a long, you know, um,
1: the situation at hand. I think this is what Doctor Saliba is talking about, Doctor Saliba.
2: Yeah, like they would have um, limited re- resources uh, available to them in order to provide surgery, and. Right. There were wait wait times before we went into COVID, and those have definitely lengthened. Like, I think people are okay. looking at a, a year, like, year and a half. It's going to take a long time in order to um, filter through this backlog that's being created. Oh, by, great.
4: Okay. You know, re- that's what I, I assumed. Uh, yes, I assumed that already because it's almost been close to eight, nine, eight months, seven to eight months already and this that I've been told that I have it and i said let's go for the operation and of course he's you know he's i believe his hands are tied to a degree yes
1: yeah well uh the the waiting times uh, were not short beforehand and uh now they're longer um uh yeah. how are you managing with it
4: Well, luckily i i don't know how how long like the degree of the severity of the cataracts but i'm managing fine but, again, of course, it's my eyesight, and I'm worried about it, right? Obviously. So I just want a general idea, like, now I can face him and tell him, okay, tell me the truth, because he's not exactly telling me the truth, what's going on. He's telling me that, you know, this is, I already know the situation from listening to your program, and it's hindsight that I, you know, but he hasn't sat down and said, this is the situation at hand. Okay. And he, so I'm very upset But on the other hand, I understand the situation, but there's got to be some answer to this because it's my eyesight, right?
1: Well, you should press him for a date even though it's not close. Susan, uh, good luck with that. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. All right. Um, We'll take one more quick one. Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill.
2: Hi. Um, I had cataract surgery and... uh the ophthalmologist, the surgeon, uh, saw some issues going on, and he recommended me going to other doctors, which ended up leading to heart surgery, which saved my life.
1: Are, so, oh, how are you? Because we haven't heard from you. Used to call a lot, so you've well, been recovering.
2: No, <laughs> I'm doing fine with you. I just I, I consume many other media, so, so you know you get a little bit of my attention. But okay. uh, the uh, the fact that uh, restricting people's access to doctors. Is going to uh, hurt lives. Uh, I'm very fortunate. Uh, th- this doctor at East General Hospital, his name is Morrow, and um, he's an outstanding man. And uh, you know, a lot of doctors wouldn't have found this, but uh, he—he's uh, a good man. So we we need to see have more access to doctors,
0: not be restricted.
1: Okay, thanks for that, Bill, and good luck with that. Um. We are uh, just about out of time, Dr. Saliba. I mean, we've heard uh, the results of people having to wait longer. Uh, what would you like to leave us with?
2: You know, um, I think the, the the last patient sort of pointed out the importance of things that can come from having your eyes examined. And um, I'd just like to encourage um, the public to, to value these services and Make sure that their elected officials know that they do, because this is something that they need to um, provide some of their time to and actually work to create a sustainable system um, to continue to help people. And, uh, you know, like I had said before, our website at savedbyicare.ca gives you an easy platform in order to do that. And if you're seeing your optometrist in your office, please sign those petitions.
1: Okay. SaveEyeCare.ca, Dr. Sheldon Saliba from the Ontario Association of Optometrists. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Okay. And that is all the time we have for today. Remember, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow and there's a lot to talk about. And if you couldn't get in or there's something else you want to talk about, give us a shout tomorrow at noon. That's all the time we have for today